everyone. I hope that you are having a good week and that you are doing very well during this difficult time. And I hope that you're finding new things to entertain yourself with so that you aren't bored at home. I was very lucky to have a lot of art supplies handy, and in between working and recording my podcast for you all, I've been able to work on a lot of watercolors and drawings and just enjoying having the windows open. I'm very lucky to live in a place where it's pretty warm right now, so that's been very nice. I hope that you've been able to find small joys and pleasures right now, things that you can do to stay active and find little things to be happy about or to be proud of yourself for doing. I know some days it's hard to get out of bed or to feel like you're doing something productive, but I just want to let you know that you don't have to be productive right now. And it's okay to be gentle with yourself and relax, just as it's okay to find a new project and be very excited. It's also okay to sit at home and have quiet moments to yourself. If you have been following my Twitter, you may have noticed that I had some recording issues yesterday. Although the issue that I had with recording wasn't so much that there was an issue doing the recording. It, for some reason, did not save. So, as I went to go, put all of my audio together and edited for you all, it unfortunately was gone. Um, and sometimes when I'm very frustrated or upset about something, I have to step away for a minute. So I hope that was okay. But that means that you get a new audio from me to you for tonight's bedtime story. And this one is one that brings me a lot of joy just because it is quite unique, I think. And this book is called Scenes in the Life of an Old Armchair. And it has a lovely cover. It's a beautiful olive green, and it has a few illustrations in it. And I love these types of covers because they're made of a, it's almost a canvas-like material. And this particular cover actually has a really nice sound, so I thought I would tap on that a little bit for you tonight. 
and do a little bit of light sounds for you while I read. I hope that's okay. But some old books actually have a little bit of extra padding. So this one has a little bit of extra padding. And it makes the cover a little bit sticky. But I think it sounds very nice. So I hope you find that very relaxing. And if there's ever sounds that you want me to make while I'm reading, feel free to let me know. You can let me know on Twitter or on anchor.fm or wherever you're listening to this podcast. Just let me know. And I'll be happy to do my best and incorporate some of those sounds for you. I'm not very good with a lot of sounds, but when it comes to books, I think they make some of my favorite sounds, so I'm pretty good at those. So for this book tonight, it's called Scenes in the Life of an Old Armchair, and it's by Mrs. O. F. Walton, who is also the author of Christie's Old Organ, Christie, the King's Servant, A Peep Behind the Scenes, Olive Story, and more. The story was originally published under the title of Shadows and was renamed Scenes in the Life of an Old Armchair in 1917, and I have an early edition from 1918 that I'll be reading to you tonight. So go ahead and get settled in. Relax, get yourself under the covers and ready for bed. I hope you don't mind. If I take a drink every now and again, it's been very dry here. So I hope those sounds aren't distracting for you. But once you're all settled in, I encourage you to take a deep breath in and out. And close your eyes as I read you to sleep. Scenes in the life of an old armchair. Chapter one. This old armchair. The room was almost dark. The fire was nearly out. All was very quiet, for the clock on the mantel shelf had just struck twelve. There was no sound of children's feet running to and fro in the nursery overhead, for the children had been fast asleep in their little beds for many hours. The father and mother had had their supper, and Jane, the housemaid, had taken the supper tray downstairs and had turned out the gas and had locked the dining room door. Pussy was asleep in the old 
armchair with a woolen antimacassar thrown over her to keep her warm. She was a great pet, this black and white pussy cat. And some people would have told you that she was a great nuisance, too. If you had asked about her in the kitchen, you would have heard many a story of milk which had been left on the table, and it suddenly disappeared, and of a thief who took every opportunity of entering the larder if the door was left open for only a minute, and who noiselessly made off with the daintiest bits of meat, or the most tempting cakes and puddings. But if Pussy was no great favorite downstairs, she was made much of in the dining room. The old armchair seemed to be kept for her special use, and her master never went upstairs to bed without first seeing that she was comfortably established in it, and made warm and snug for the night. And so it came to pass that on this particular night of which I am writing, Pussy was asleep, and as usual, in the old armchair, and very comfortable she looked, and very comfortable, no doubt, she felt, for she was asleep so quietly that she did not disturb the silence which reigned in the room. The only sound to be heard was the steady tick. Different time of its life, 
It had been red and blue and green and black and brown by turns. Once it was gay with roses, and once, when it was the property of a particularly careful owner, it was clad from head to foot in brown holland. Yes, it had seen many changes in its life. It had gone through a great deal, quite enough to wear out many a more modern and less substantial chair. But it had held together, it had been the family friend in many a household for many a year. The children had climbed into it and had made of it a railway carriage, a ship, a harvest wagon, or a bathing machine. And the old armchair had cheerfully adapted itself to every kind of game, and had enjoyed the shouts and laughter of the merry children as they played within its arms. The boys and girls had crept into it to learn their lessons, or to read their storybooks. The young people had leaned back in it, and had built their castles in the air as they looked into the flickering fire. Castles which were always bright and beautiful, but which too often, alas, were doomed to fall away and crumble into ashes as quickly and as surely as the blazing embers at which they were gazing. Many a poor, tired mother, many an overworked father had found rest and repose after the day's bustle and excitement and worry. In the old armchairs, ever ready and ever willing shelter, and as for the old people, the grandfathers and the grandmothers, the armchair had become the home of their old age. As they sat cozily ensconced in it with newspaper or knitting, thinking and dreaming as earnestly of bygone days as ever the young ones had done of the future. But the old armchair shall tell its own story. Whilst pussy is asleep, and the clock is ticking, and the fire is going out, we will listen to its own account of its adventures in its long and varied life. Chapter 2 Beginning Life I am a very old armchair. I heard someone say the other day that I should soon be worn out. But although my legs and arms are growing shaky, and although I am very infirm in many ways, and although I find that I cannot do or bear nearly so much as I could a few years ago, still, my memory is as fresh as ever, and I can recall the events of the days when I was young as distinctly as though they had happened only yesterday. Oh, in how many different places I have lived, and what different homes I have been in since that spring morning when I was carried out of the furniture manufactory of Messrs. Dibble and Company and placed in their showroom on the other side of the road. It was a large, well-lighted place, 
and the furniture looked very new and pretty, as it stood arranged in long, tempting rows for the purchasers to examine. Mr. Stiffel's establishment stood in a small village, about five miles from a large and flourishing town. And every day, those people who wished to buy furniture came driving up to the door and went round to the showroom to select the articles they liked best. So our days were full of variety, and we were constantly occupied in seeing and being seen. The nights were very quiet when young Mr. Dibble locked up the showroom and went to his private sitting room and went the light faded away from the strip of sky and the skylights over our heads and the sounds of carts and carriages on the road outside ceased. The village children finished their games on the green close by and went home to bed. Then, when all else was still, we in the showroom began to talk. The grand rosewood tables and the drawing room chairs and the richly covered sofas kept a good deal to themselves and talked together in whispers, which gave great offense to their neighbors. But at the end of the showroom where I was placed, there were many more homely and less expensive chairs and tables, and with these I had many a pleasant talk during these long winter nights. Sometimes we could hardly hear our own voices on account of the hail pattering on the warehouse roof, or the wild wind howling in the white chimneys and sweeping round and round the building as though it longed to sweep it face of the earth. But at other times, the nights were quiet and peaceful, and it was then that our voices might be heard in the dark showroom. I do not know how it came to pass, but it was an undeniable fact that we armchairs were always looked up to as oracles of wisdom and good sense by the smaller chairs, and even the tables had a great respect for our opinion and listened at all times most humbly to our advice. It was a curious position in which we were all placed in that showroom, just beginning life and not knowing what was before us, nor to what kind of home we should be taken when we left the warehouse. Every day we saw some of our companions suddenly carried away to carts or wagons, and once having gone, they never returned. Where they went, we did not know, and how it afterwards fared with them, we never heard. But of this we felt sure, that sooner or later our turn would come, and that sooner or later we should leave the large showroom, and our many pleasant companions there, and go out to our various lots in life, never more to return. This state of suspense had lasted with some of my companions for months, and with some even for years. But my sojourn in the showroom was not destined to be a very long one. It was a bright morning in the beginning of May that we heard the wheels of a dog cart coming down the road, and presently.
Eventually, the door of the showroom was opened and Mr. Dibble entered, followed by a very respectably dressed young man and by an equally respectably dressed young woman. I am thinking of setting up housekeeping, said the young man, coloring a good deal. At least we both are, so we want to buy a few useful things to start our home with. Quite so, sir, exactly so, said Mr. Dibble, bowing, and understanding the state of the case at once. Which will you see first, sir? Bedroom furniture, drawing room furniture, kitchen furniture. We have a large assortment of everything. Please do walk around, sir, and examine them at your leisure. I could see them quite well from the corner in which I stood as they went around to the showroom, and I was much interested in watching them. The young man consulted the young woman's taste about every separate piece of furniture, and whatever Nellie liked, he liked, so they were not long in making up their minds. Is that all, sir? said Mr. Dibble, when each article had been entered in his pocketbook, and a pretty and useful selection of furniture for two bedrooms, a sitting room, and a kitchen had been carefully chosen and priced. Is there nothing more I can show you, sir? Yes, Nellie, said the young man. We must get a real comfortable armchair for your mother. Oh, Charlie, how good of you, said the girl. Mother always likes an armchair so much. The armchairs are this way, sir, said Mr. Dibble, leading them to the corner where I and my friend were standing. Which of us would be chosen? It was an exciting moment. One or two of the older armchairs that had been in the showroom for several months felt it was only fair that they should be selected, and Mr. Dibble evidently agreed with them for he showed them off to the best advantage and sounded their praises very highly. But somehow or other, Nellie did not admire any of them. And of course, Charlie agreed with her and said they would not do. One was too large, another too dear, and another too heavy to move from place to place. And so... It came to pass that after much consultation, I found myself and one other armchair drawn out into the center of the showroom. As the two, which the young people liked best, but between which for some time they remained undecided. My companion was a very smart chair, covered with a bright scarlet damask. And at first, Nellie was much disposed in its favor. But after a long deliberation, it was at last decided that my horsehair cloth would last much longer, and that I should be certainly more comfortable for Mother's back than my smarter companion. The armchair being chosen, Charlie's and Nellie's work was ended, and they were turning to go when Mr. Dibble invited them into his sitting room to take a glass of wine before returning to the town. The young man hesitated a little, but I noticed that Nellie answered decidedly before he had time to speak. 
No, thank you, sir. We'd rather not. We are going to his mother's for dinner, and it's time we were there now. Come, Charlie. We must not waste time. Your mother will certainly be looking out for us. She led the way to the dog cart, and Mr. Dibble bowed graciously to them as they went out the door and stood looking after them as they drove out of sight. So my lot in life was fixed. I was to be removed the next day to young Charlie Winter's new home. I was very much excited and very hopeful that last night in the showroom. I liked the faces of my young master and mistress, and I looked forward to a happy and peaceful life. Some of the other armchairs, especially those who had been long waiting for admirers, croaked a good deal that night and told me I should very likely be disappointed and not find it so bright as I expected. But I was young and foolish then, and was full of anxiety to leave my old, quiet life, and to go out into the great world, of which till then I knew nothing. Like many young people, I was longing for a change, dreaming, as they so often dream, that it must be a change for the better. I have grown old since then, and have had many changes in my life. Not all of them what I would have chosen, nor all of them for the better. And, strange to say, the older I get, the less I like the idea of a change. And the more I wish to stay where I am as long as I can hold it together. There is one thing that puzzles me very much, and it is this. Why is it that we old people remember so much more distinctly what happened to us in our young days than we remember the events of last week or last month? My old friend, the sideboard, made this remark to me the other day, and I have often thought of it since. And the more I think of it, the more persuaded I am that he is right. For my first home, the home to which I was taken from the showroom of Mr. Dibble, stands out before me now as clearly and distinctly as if I had just seen it. The quiet street on the outskirts of the town, down which carts and carriages seldom passed, for it was no thoroughfare. The green gate, the little strip of garden in front of the house, the long, straight path leading up to the door, the newly planted beds, and the newly sown grass plant, the little rockery of salmon-colored stones, the honeysuckle planted by the side of the door and drained to creep over the green porch, the house itself with its two stories and its diamond-paint windows. All these I see before me today. It's clearly as if it were only yesterday that I had arrived at that very green gate in the large wagon belonging to Mr. Dibble's warehouse. I see the parlor, too. The pretty little parlor on the right-hand side of the door in which I was placed when I first arrived. I see the bright green carpet covered with clusters of red roses. I see my companions, the four horsehair chairs and the horsehair sofa, all of whom had come with me in the wagon 
and who therefore seemed very old friends in these new and strange quarters. I see the round table which had been bought in a grand shop in the town, and who was not a little vain and overbearing in consequence, arrayed in a bright scarlet cloth and covered with Nellie's wedding presents. Nellie's inkstand, Nellie's album, Nellie's flower vase, and Nellie's prettiest books. I see even the pictures on the walls in their bright gilt frames. Red Riding Hood walking through the wood with either her dog or the wolf lying at her feet. I never could discover which of them it was. The four chairs and the sofa were positive that it was the wolf. But the table contradicted them every time they said so and maintained that it was too tame and quiet for a wolf and must therefore be a dog. The death of Nelson, in which the sailors were depicted in extraordinary costumes and with bright red scarves tied round their necks, and one which was my favorite of Sir William Johnstone, M.B., as he appeared when addressing the electors of Bangor. This gentleman was dressed as a Freemason and was standing on a platform, waving his arms about in a most excited manner as he harangued the listening crowds beneath. All these I can see as distinctly as if they were before me now. The house was very noiseless and quiet those first few days. Our voices alone broke the silence as we quietly chatted together of the past, the present, and the bright future. All else was still and stationary till the wedding was over, and my master and mistress came to their new home. There was a fire in the parlor that evening, and we were all very happy together. It was pretty to see how Nellie enjoyed pouring out tea, and how Charlie enjoyed watching her, how they admired everything in the room, and praised us all by turns, how they planned together for our mother's comfort, and how they admired me and said I was the very best purchase they had made, how happily and hopefully they spoke together of the life they were to live together in their little home, how they drew their chairs to the fire after tea and watched the cheerful blaze and built castles in the air about all that might come to them in that house, and all the happiness that awaited them there. It was very pretty to see all this, and to see how truly they loved each other, and how fully content they were with each other. How Charlie thought that there was never in all the world such a wife as Nellie, and told her so. And how Nellie thought that there was never in the world such a husband as Charlie, and told him so too. All this, I say, was very pretty to see and to listen to, and I felt more and more thankful for the bright future that was before them and before me, more and more glad that they had such a perfect little home to live in, and that it had been my lot to form a part of that home. About a week after that, Nellie's mother arrived, and she was the prettiest old woman I ever saw.
Her hair was perfectly white and neatly braided under a snowy cap. Her voice was always bright and cheery, and she made everyone in the house feel so good. With her own merry little laugh, and with her ever-cheerful talk. What a happy time that was for all of us. A happy time for Charlie, loving and admiring his little wife and his little home more every day, going out in the morning to the town and turning round at the corner of the street to get a last look at Nellie, standing at the green gate to watch him till he was out of sight, coming home in the evening to find her there waiting for him, as if she had never left the spot, spending his evenings reading aloud to her and to her mother, or working in the garden with Nellie by his side to help him and to praise his work, going on Sunday with her to the nearest church and taking a walk with her after service out in the fields on the outskirts of town and throughout the week, and all the wear and tear of his business life, and all the dreary hours spent at his desk, and all the hard work and worry and discomfort of a clerk's life, ever having one thought to keep him cheerful and contented, the thought of the home in which he would soon find himself, the home he loved so dearly, and in which he found such true content. Yes, those were happy days for Charlie, and they were happy days for Nellie, too, rising with the lark to superintend her little servant in her work, preparing Charlie's early breakfast with her own hands, flying about her household duties like a bird from tree to tree, singing to herself just from sheer happiness, just as a bird does, making play of work and a work of play. Mending and making and dusting and ironing and cooking and baking and driving and planning and always all day long looking forward to the happy evening hours when they would be together again. Yes, they were happy days for Nellie. And they were happy days for Nellie's mother, sitting in her own armchair, reading or knitting or sewing gazing into the fire and thinking of past days, or gazing at the young people and thinking of happy days to come, having me wheeled into the green porch, that she might look into the garden and watch them at their work, entering into their pleasures, rejoicing in their joys, living over again in them her own married life. Yes, they were happy days for Nellie's mother, and they were happy days for me. I loved them all so much, and I was so glad to feel that I was a comfort to them all. I liked to hear Nellie's mother say, as she leaned back at me, that this armchair was the greatest luxury of her old age. I liked to see Nellie give her husband a kiss and thank him again and again for having bought me for her mother. I liked to hear him say in reply that he would have bought me if I had cost ten times the money, and that he was better pleased with me than anything in the whole house. Yes, they were happy days for me. And that ends chapter two.
that you're enjoying this book so far. It's not terribly long, but it's a little longer than some of the other books that I am reading to you. So I'll be sure to keep you updated if you do enjoy it. Also, I don't know if you have been able to hear, but I have some of my pets here. They're sleeping so quietly and so sweetly. One of them snores a little bit, but it's a very sweet and gentle snore. And I don't know if you can hear it in the recording. But if you can, I hope that you find it very soothing. Let's see if I can get one of them to purr just a little bit for you. To help you fall into a deeper sleep. There you go. As a reminder, you can always request content for me to read to you, and I'll be happy to read whatever it is to you, so long as it's in the public domain. You can reach out to me on Twitter, or you can contact me wherever you listen to your podcast episodes. I hope by now you are very relaxed and are fast asleep. So for tonight I would like to wish you a good night, good night, and sweet, sweet dreams. <laughs>